It's time to get together in the presence of the Lord to find renewed heart and mind through the Word of God, through singing the praises of the Lord, and just enjoying the good things of God and fellowship one with another. Thank you for joining us tonight. It's been a good day as we've walked with the Lord. It hasn't been easy, but it's been a good day. And we're looking forward to the rest of this week as we prepare for the coming Easter season. So it's a joy, it's a joy to have you join us tonight as we look to the Lord for his help and blessing and a new Bible study series that we started last week that should be extremely practical and helpful for all of us. Uh, Pastor Pelletier has been putting a lot of study in it. He's trying to uh, renew his knowledge of Old English, <laughs> in which the text was written for the original manuscript of the book that, he, that right. he's sharing with us tonight. It's found, and it's a, it's a historical record. I shouldn't say story, but it is a, it's a true story of historic nature. And it's what actually happened in, in the history of mankind. We read of it in Genesis chapter 3. And uh, Adam and Eve had been created, and they are living in the Garden of Eden. And the last thing that is said about them, and this is not with moral implications, the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Ooh. Totally innocent. Mm -hmm. Totally innocent. Mm -hmm. Nothing, nothing, not a thought occurred to them. Not a thought occurred to them. And they were in total ignorance of sin. Now that's amazing too. They were in total ignorance of sin. And the devil said, look, God's holding out information on you. <laughs> and I'll tell you when, you, when you, when you learn about sin, the more you learn, the more you wish you didn't know. Right. That's exactly right. So we'll read, the, we'll read the record here. They were both in the garden. Mm -hmm. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, indeed, has God said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it, or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, You surely will not die. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God. Now notice the next word, knowing, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. She gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, Well, the woman whom you gave to me with me, she gave me from the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman said, The serpent 
deceived me and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this, cursed are you more than all cattle, more than every beast of the field. On your belly will you go, and dust you will eat all the days of your life. I will put animosity, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. To the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you will bring forth children. Yet your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Then to Adam he said, Because you've listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread, till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Hmm. Quite a story, uh, quite a historical record. This is exactly what happened. This is how fear began. Hmm. If you look at your notes, we're in this study of triumphing over sinful fear, and if you look in your notes, we'll see that we're moving into an understanding of what fear is. I was talking to my wife on the way over here, and we, I was talking, and I said, I'm not sure I'm the one to talk about fear, because by nature, I'm not a very fearful person. I, the only thing I really fear is getting out of the will of God. Uh, I know some people are quite jumpy, and they, 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 get, they get frightened all the time, and, and uh, my wife sometimes gets frightened. I have, I have a little fun with her around that church. You know, we live in that big church building all by ourselves, and every once in a while, I'll just stand in a doorway when I know she's coming out of that room and just wait to see her response and it's just very entertaining <laughs> so you can uh, she, 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 her eyes get big and her mouth drops open and, and, and strange sounds come out and so it's, it's quite interesting that's what fear is it's, it's a, it, it, she's, a, uh, she's afraid that somebody is going to bring harm to her and uh, of course then I try not to do that I try to make sure I give her a, a hug or something so that she knows it's okay but there is, uh, according to Flavel, and Deb tells me that's how you're supposed to pronounce it. I tried to say navel or flavel and that kind of thing, and she said that wasn't right. So Flavel, uh, back in the 1600s when he wrote it, he basically put it this way. He broke this idea of fear down into several types. He talks about a natural fear, he talks about a sinful fear, and he talks about a religious fear. And uh, I wrestle with this and how to make it into modern English so that we can quite grasp what he is saying. But the idea basically with this natural fear is that everyone has some fear. And uh, there was no fear at all until Adam and Eve did what they did in the garden. It was a beautiful place uh, without fear. 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 7 says, God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Uh, and yet we know that fear is in this world. If you look back in Genesis chapter 2 and uh, verses 18 through 25, and we won't take the time to read through all of that chapter, but you can see the perfection of the Garden of Eden. 
It talks about the rivers that flowed through it. It talked about how God put Adam in there, and he gave him a responsibility to work in the garden, to dress and to keep it. Work is not a four-letter word. Work is, is an opportunity to glorify God. And, and, uh, and Adam was glorifying God by working in the garden. And God said, I'm going to send the animals around to you. And, and you're going, they're going to walk up to you and you're going to, you're going to name them. And whatever you call them, that's what their name will be. Uh, and I can imagine Adam in the garden going around and the bee comes up. He calls it a bee and a mosquito comes up and then a lion comes up and he just pats it on the head and calls it a lion. Tigers, bears, snakes, whatever it was. There was no fear at all. Uh, some of that, the thought of that happening in our day would, would scare many of you to death. You know, the other day we saw in the news where a, a man took his child into an elephant cage. And if you were watching the news, you saw how that elephant came to attack that man. And the man dropped the child. And, wow, that was a very fearful thing. And yet Adam could walk up to an elephant and say, you're an elephant. And just it was no big deal. Because he was in this Garden of Eden and there was no reason to fear. Uh, everything in the world that God had created was absolutely perfect. As Pastor mentioned, uh, uh, Adam was by himself and he was lonely. And, and I don't know that that was a fearful thing or even a bad thing. It was just he was busy doing other things. And God said, you know what, he needs some help. And so God put him to sleep, not in a bad way. I uh, think of that's where we got the idea of anesthetics, I guess. We, we, uh, we, uh, we, we go under anesthesia to go into surgery. And I think it came out of that passage of Scripture where man got that idea. And uh, Adam went to sleep, and God did, a lot, did an operation. He reached inside that body that he had previously formed out of clay and pulled out a rib and made a woman out of him, and handed her to him and brought him to Adam. And they had the first marriage, and Adam and Eve were living in this beautiful garden in absolute bliss. There was no shame, there was no fear, there was love everywhere you went to it. Adam loved Eve, Eve loved Adam, and they both loved God, and God loved them. And God, on top of all of that, God walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. Can you imagine what it would be like uh, out there, there in the Middle East where there's so much heat and all of that, and then the evening comes and the, and the sun starts to set and the, and the temperature starts to drop and the winds uh, start to blow, balmy winds, and, and, and God steps into the garden and has a conversation with his creation. What a wonderful time it must have been. We don't have much more information about that other than those first couple of chapters of Genesis. But we do know that that is the way God intended this world to be. Don't you blame God for the evil that's in this world. That was never God's intention. He gave man the opportunity to choose, and man made the choice to eat of that tree that he said don't eat from. And because of that, sin came into the world, and therefore fear came into the world. One day God's going to straighten that all out. Isaiah talks about a millennial kingdom that's coming. And you can see on, uh, I think it's page five in the notes, a, a beautiful mural that's painted in the nursery of our, of our church building. Don Maalona did a wonderful job with that, where you see a lion laying down by a lamb. And we see all the, of the peace that God is intending for the millennial kingdom. And it'll be very much like that Garden of Eden. And the only thing there will be a fear of is the fear of the Lord. What a wonderful time that is going to be. I look forward to that day. But we do not live in that kind of a world. 
the Bible says in 1 John 4 and verse 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves punishment. I think the King James says fear has torment. And the one who fears is not perfected in love. The only reason that there is any fear in this world at all is because mankind is deserving of punishment because of sin. We should grieve over the fact that that's the kind of world that we live in. We hear of shootings recently in Colorado. We hear of difficulties. We hear of people being dragged in by cars and people, thugs, going through the streets and punching old people and knocking them down. What a horrible world we live in because of sin. And there is fear because of sin. It's a part of the punishment. It's part of the curse that follows Adam and Eve's decision to disobey God and to partake of the fruit that he said not to. And we have inherited their sin nature. And so therefore we have this natural fear. John Flavel says, Ever since sin entered human nature, it has been impossible to shake off this fear. Well, we can go on and talk about this a little bit more. And Can you imagine? I think I would have been scared to death to wear fig leaves. Can you imagine how quickly those could have disappeared? That was a terrible thing to think about. To have to think of the, the life that those people had to live after sin. Natural fear, what is that? Let's go back and look at this a little bit more in detail. On page 6 in our notes, it says that it is the fear of danger. And there should be a fear in us that talks about, that, that is concerned about preserving our life and preventing pain and harm in our lives. Pastor was reading about, I hadn't thought about it, but Pastor was reading about childbirth. And I can imagine, I'm not, I'm not a woman, but I know as a, as, a, as a grandfather, when my daughter went in to have my grandson, I, I, I know there was some fear. How is this going to come out? Is the child going to be okay? Is the mother going to be okay? Uh, is the father going to have a heart attack while he's waiting? I don't know. There's all this fear that went around that. And then man has to go through all this pain and suffering of working in the garden and, and digging up weeds and dealing with thorns and all of the things that we have to deal with because of this sin. It's a natural fear. Uh, it's something that can, it can consume us if we are not careful. John Flavel says, natural fear is the trouble or agitation of mind that arises when we perceive approaching evil or impending danger. Um, it's the kind of fear that I remember one day as, uh, when I was with some friends of mine in high school and we went to the, 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 the uh, local uh, county racetrack. And those old cars were racing around on that dirt track and we were sitting in the in the bleachers and and there was a nothing in between us but a, a like a chain link fence and one of those cars bumped another car and next thing I know there was a car flying our way and you should have seen the people run and I just kind of stood there and watched and waited while that car landed at my feet it was very interesting to me but everybody else was afraid I this wasn't for some reason I maybe I need to be I don't know but there's this natural fear that impending danger is coming your way and you want to get out of there in John chapter 2 uh, verse 16 and 17 again this is what brought fear into the world the lord commanded the man saying in John chapter 2 verse 16 and 17 from any tree of the garden you may eat freely but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. 
For in the day that you eat from it, you shall surely die. Now, I'm not sure Adam and Eve understood what that meant exactly. They'd never seen anybody die. They didn't know what death was. They had never experienced it. All they had seen was life all around them. There were no dead animals. There was no dead trees. There was no dead grass. Everything was absolutely pristine and growing and, and bustling. But after this time, danger came into the world because of Adam and Eve's choosing to ignore God's command in Genesis chapter 2. And since that time, we have had to be afraid when somebody yells boo from a corner and, and when we walk through a dark room like I sometimes walk through the dark church when nobody's around and wonder who's lurking around the corner. Um, we have this natural fear, a desire to preserve ourselves, But sometimes that fear can overtake us and we need to be very careful about that. John Flavel says, when fear is exceedingly great, reason is displaced and unable to guide us. Uh, that's why when somebody scares you, you go something like, blah, 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 you know, because you don't know what to do. You just freak out. There's some passages of scripture, scripture that, that illustrate this. In Psalm 107, verse 23, those who go down to the sea in ships, who do business on great waters, they have seen the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep, for he spoke and raised up a stormy wind which lifted up the waves of the sea. They rose up in the ship to the heavens. They went down to the depths in the bottom of us of a wave. Their soul melted away in their misery. They reeled and staggered like a drunken man and were at their wit's end. I can imagine what that must be like. If you've ever been on a boat that has been in the middle of a storm, you can understand that. And God warned Israel that if they rejected the Lord's protection by disobeying his commandments, they would also experience that kind of fear. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 15, God told the children of Israel, he said, If you do not obey the Lord your God to observe to do all his commandments and his statutes which I charge you today, that all these curses will come down upon you and overtake you. Verse 25 goes on and says, The Lord shall cause you to be defeated before your enemies. You will go out one way against them, but you will flee seven ways before them, and you will be an example of terror to all the kingdoms of the earth. Because Israel failed to obey God, sometimes they ran like chickens to get away from the enemy that was chasing them. You know, most people try to just party their way through life and ignore the fact that death is coming, death is sure, and uh, it's something that we are going to face. And so they, they try to hide that by, by masking their fears through alcohol and drug abuse and through illicit sex and, and uh, entertainment and all sorts of things that they use to set aside these fears because we don't want to think about those things. It's like they want to think that death is like a storm that's over in India that's not going to affect us here in the United States. Uh, but death is something that is coming, and we do not know when, and it is because of sin. Um, Isaiah 56, 12 describes the mentality of these people who are trying to hide from the inevitable a result of natural fear. They Come, they say, let us get wine, and let us drink heavily of strong drink, and tomorrow will be like today, only more so. They just want life to go on. We'll just forget today, and then we'll go on. The truth of the matter is we need to be ready for that time. These people who are constantly 
uh, hiding their fears and hiding their concerns through these uh, these addictive things that they get involved with, they live by a motto that says, hmm, it won't happen to me. This is why sometimes parents talk to their children and warn them of things and they say, no, it won't happen to me. You speed and drive that car too fast and you don't know what you're doing, you're going to have an accident and oh, it won't happen to me. You, you live in immorality and you may get yourself a disease or somebody may end up with a child or something's going to happen. Somebody's going to get hurt. Now it won't happen to me. This is the way people live. They want to put off this natural fear. Flavel says this, All carnal security is maintained by putting evil at a great distance from us. It is said of secure sensualists, people who live for sin, uh, they put far away the evil day. Amos 6.3 talks about that. This does not mean that they put the evil day farther away from them in reality, but only in their imagination. They shut their eyes and refuse to see it. Not, not going to happen to me, lest it should interrupt their happiness. To hear of a fire, plague, or a sword in a foreign country does not frighten us because the evil is so remote. It is so far away that we're in no danger. However, when it is in our town, or even worse, in our home, we tremble. This is the reason why death does not frighten the living. It is apprehended as remote, at an undetermined distance. Aren't you glad you don't know the precise time when you're going to die? Wouldn't that be a terrible thing? People could live right up as they as they live their whole life, living in awful sin and awful judgment, and just, just think, well, I'm not going to die until tomorrow. I know someone told me that I'm not afraid of God. He hasn't struck me with lightning yet. Wow. That's a foolish way to live your lives. We need to be living with this natural fear, understanding that we are under a curse, and we need to be preparing for the time when we meet our God. Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says, For the wages of sin is death. That's the result of what Adam and Eve did in the garden. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's how you overcome natural fear. You put your trust in God. John chapter 3 verse 36 says, He who believes in the Son has eternal life. There's not much fear in that. I'm not afraid to die. I know where I'm going. But he who does not obey the Son will not see life. But the wrath of God abides on him right now. It's important that we have a little bit of this natural fear because it forces us to go to God. We must turn from our sins and run only to the one who can save us from them. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved from fear and death and natural fear and all these things. And the consequences, the eternal consequences. Verse 10 says, For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. And verse 13 says, Whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved from the consequences of sin, from the consequences of natural fear that comes because of sin. But there is another kind of fear, and that is sinful fear. Sinful fear is really, really quite wicked. It is really, it is, it is one of the worst things that we can do. It is a, an unworthy distrust of God. You know, God is worthy of all of our trust. He loves us, and he wants what's best for us. He sent his son to die for us so we wouldn't have to suffer the consequences of sin. He did everything that he could to save us. 
And yet men say, no, I'm not going to trust him. No, I will not accept Jesus Christ as my Savior. And as a Christian, sometimes we say, no, I'm not going to give my life to the Lord because I'm afraid of what he's going to do with it. I'm afraid he'll send me to deep, dark Africa and serve with the Babalolas down there in Nigeria. I can't imagine how much fun that would be. Why? Because I trust God. But if you don't trust God, that would frighten That would scare you to death. Flavel said this, The carnal person fears man, not God. The weak Christian fears man too much, and God too little. The strong Christian fears God, not men. So that is the epitome of a sinful fear, to replacing a trust in God with a trust in anything else. It's cause. Sinful fear is cause. It's a rejection of the promises of God. In the book of Isaiah, uh, God says to the children of Israel, he says in Isaiah 30, verse 15, In repentance and rest you will be saved. In quietness and trust is your strength. But Israel said, no, we're not doing that. It says in verse 15, but you were not willing. And then verse 16 says, and you said, no, for we will flee on horses. Therefore you shall flee, and we will ride on swift horses. Apparently there was an army coming in, and they were afraid. And God said, if you'll trust me, I'll take care of you. If you'll trust me, I'll protect you. They said, no, we're going to get on a horse and run out of here. I like what Flavel says. They made the decision that a good horse will do them more service than a good promise. We do that all the time when we reject the will of God because we think we have a better plan. Sinful fear is caused by willfully trusting in things or people rather than trusting in the Creator God who made all things and can control all things. I love that passage in Matthew, and it's also recorded in Mark, where Jesus tells the disciples, I'm going to get on the boat and go for a, a ride across the lake. And uh, Matthew 8 and Mark chapter 4 record what happens. The disciples get in the boat with Jesus, and Jesus curls up in the back of the boat and pulls up a pillow and just lays down and goes to sleep. And while he is sleeping, this massive storm comes over the sea. And uh, like we read in the book of Psalms about those sailors going up and down and up and down. I'd have been so seasick, I can't imagine. But uh, they, uh, they, they were going up and down and up and down. And, and Jesus is in the back just asleep. Why? Because he's God and he had even the storm under control, though they did not know that. And they did not trust him. Instead, all they can see is the trouble around him. And they say, oh, and they finally had to shake him and wake him up. And I can see Jesus standing up in the back of the boat and kind of rubbing the sleep out of his eyes and just standing and just quietly saying, peace, be still. And then that water was as smooth as this tabletop. And the disciples stood and said, what kind of man is this? That even the sea obeys him. And Jesus says, where is your faith? This is what sinful fear is. It's a refusal to have faith in God. And looking at the trouble and rejecting God's uh, protection. 
It's success. It, uh, Flavel goes on in his outline, and it took me a while to figure out what he was talking about. But basically, he's talking about allowing one's imagination to create non-existent dangers. You know, we do that sometimes. That's what happens when you're walking through that dark room in the big church building and you think there might be somebody lurking behind a, a beam or a, sitting in a pew waiting to jump out. Now, they do that when we play hide-and-seek in the church with some young people sometimes. But they're not really going to hurt you. But that is what we're talking about. It's a, it's an allowing your imagination. That's what's that's what's so fearful when you're playing hide and seek. You're you're you're, you're imagining what's going to happen, and it usually really doesn't happen. Um, in Genesis chapter 32, we have the story, uh, the historical record, as Pastor said, of of Jacob getting ready to meet his brother Esau. And if you'll remember, Jacob had deceived uh, Esau a couple of times, and uh, he he got his his birthright. And he got his father's blessings through some deception. Remember, Jacob's name means supplanter or deceiver. But again, God got a hold of Jacob's life, and, and Jacob's name was changed to Israel, friend of God. And yet, it, Jacob still had trouble trusting God. And many years later, Esau, who was this hairy hunter, who was and Jacob was much more of a domesticated man. He was a mama's boy while Jacob was the, was the, was the guy who went out and you know killed gorillas or whatever he did. Um... And, um, and, 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 and finally, it's time for Esau to come and meet with Jacob. And Jacob's imagination is going crazy. Genesis chapter 32, messengers return to Jacob saying in verse 6, We came to your brother Esau, and furthermore, he's coming to meet you, and 400 men are with him. The big hairy guy with 400 men, I bet they weren't sissies that were with him either. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed, and he divided the people who were with him and the flocks and the herds and the camels into two companies. For he said, if Esau comes to the one company and attacks it, then the company which is left will escape. I'll get at least half my family back if, Jacob, if Esau kills the rest of them. Well, just shortly before that had happened, even before this news of Esau's coming had happened, Jacob had been meeting with angels and God. In Genesis chapter 32... Uh, verses 1 and 2, and the notes it says verses 6 through 8, that's a typo. But Genesis chapter 32, verses 1 and 2, the, the, just before this meeting, uh, anticipated meeting with Esau, Jacob's with, with angels. Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And Jacob, when he saw them, uh, Jacob said when he saw them, this is God's camp, God's here. Now listen, if God is in the camp, you have nothing to fear. That's just the way it is. If you're walking with God, you have nothing to fear. Pastor said it, I've said it. If, if you are walking in the will of God, you are indestructible until God is done with you. And Jacob didn't understand that. Even when he saw angels with his own eyes. And he walked in the presence of these angels, which I've never done. So, what happens is, uh, he he worries and he and he and he's so concerned and he frets and he wrings his hands and he devises how he's going to save part of his family. All for no reason at all, because in Genesis chapter three, we thirty three, we see that all Jacob did was delay a wonderful relationship and a wonderful reunion with his brother, who had forgiven him of all things and was prospering on his own and forgotten all the all the damage of the past. And was just looking forward to a good time with his brother. In Genesis chapter 33 verses 1 and 4. Jacob lifted his eyes and looked. And behold Esau was coming. And 400 men with him. So he divided the children. And talks about that. 
But verse 4 says, Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept together. God brought peace when Jacob was expecting fear. Now that's what happens when we let fear go to excess. That's when we let our imaginations go on. That's when we sit around and worry about COVID and the results of that. We're just delaying what God wants, what God's blessing on us. Now we should have some natural fear for it. We've taken care of that. We've dealt with that. It's time to move on. It really is. Set aside that fear and trust God. Even the government starting to say it's okay to get together in church and sing. Let's do it. Let's get ready. Sin also, sinful, sinful um, fear also has this thing called inordinacy. I can hardly even say the word. One of those old English words that I don't use much. The Bible talks about inordinate affection. It's talking about an affection that should not be. It's a it's a it's it's giving in to the flesh. It's giving in to it all. It's and uh, inordinacy if a fear is magnifying the fear of any what I call a noun over the fear of God. A noun, person, place, thing, or idea. When you fear any of those other things instead of fearing God, you're living in sinful fear. Isaiah chapter thirty one verse one says, "Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses and trust in chariots because they are many and in horsemen because they are very strong, but they do not look to the Holy One of Israel nor seek the Lord. The Egyptians are men." In verse in verse three says, "And not God, and their horses are flesh and not spirit. So the Lord will stretch out His hand, and he who helps will stumble, and he who is." Help will fall, and all of them will come to an end together. He's saying, if you go to trust the Egyptians, you're just going to fall with the Egyptians. If you trust in the Lord, you're going to be safe. Now, Flavel uses this illustration of a vine that grows on the side of a brick wall. If you've ever seen these, I see some, even here in California, some, some places where the vines grow right up the side of the wall. And the vines are, go to great heights because they are attached to something firm and, and secure. But if you take those vines and you just let them all grow together, they won't rise at all. They will just fall down because they have no backbone. They have no strength in themselves. They have to rely on something else. You and I need to rely on the strength of Almighty God rather than trusting in other people to get us out of our struggles. That is an inordinate affection. That is when we are trusting in other things rather than trusting in God. It is sinful to let our imaginations believe that something else, any noun, is bigger uh, than it really is, and thereby reject the solid promises of God for our protection. Now, what is the influence of sinful fear? Again, it is distracting the fearful from trusting God for deliverance. John Flavel says this, The mere apprehension of misery kills many before the enemy's sword touches any. None of them run into their prayer closets to seek God. There was a confederacy of armies that were getting ready to gather and, and attack Jehoshaphat, King Jehoshaphat, King of Judah. He wasn't a perfect man, but in this instance, in this instance he did the right thing. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verses 1 through 4, Now it came about after this, that the sons of Moab and the sons of Ammon, together with some of the Muonites, came to make war against Jehoshaphat. 
Then some came and reported to Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea out of Aram, and behold, they are in Hazan's, that word, it's in Gedi. And Jehoshaphat was afraid and turned his attention to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So Judah gathered together to seek help from the Lord. They even came from all the cities of Judah to seek the Lord. When we drop to our knees in fear of a threat, rather than kneeling before God to pray in times of fear, we have succumbed to sinful fear. Psalm 56 verse 3 says, When I am afraid, I will put my trust in you, in God, whose word I praise. In God I have put my trust. I shall not be afraid. What can mere man do to me? What is the power of sinful fear? It, is, it, it causes the fearful to sin in order to escape the fearful thing. You know the story or the, the tale, or the, not the tale, but again the historical record of Abraham. Abraham was a great man of God. He loved the Lord, and God was going to make a mighty nation of him. God made many promises to him. And, but Abraham was a sojourner. He hadn't reached the promised land early on in his life. And he never really got it all settled before he passed. But he went from place to place like a nomad. And he ended up going through Egypt. And that was a fearful thing, because Egypt was a powerful established land. And here Abraham was just the beginning of the Hebrew nation. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 25 says, The fear of man brings a snare, but he who trusts in the Lord will be exalted. Abraham fell into that fear of man, and when he went to Egypt, he told Sarah, Tell him you're my sister. Now Genesis chapter 20, verse 12 says, She actually is my sister, the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. I tease my wife about this a lot. Uh, I happen to uh, uh, be able to marry my younger brother to her sister. And my brother married her sister. I performed the ceremony. My wife was the maid of honor. And I tell everybody I've been living with my sister-in-law ever since. Now that's a joke. But this is kind of what, what uh, Abraham was doing at this time. She, he was doing a play on words. She was his half-sister, but she was not. His, uh, but she was, more importantly, she was his wife. But he goes into Egypt and he tells Sarah, you tell that Pharaoh there, you're a beautiful woman and I'm afraid he's going to kill me and let you live, but I would like to live too. So you just tell him you're my sister and maybe he'll just, he'll treat us both decently. And then he did it again in Genesis chapter 20 when he went through the land of Gerar and he went to, went to Abimelech, another one of those tang twister names. Um, and uh, he said, she's my sister. Again, he did it. Uh, later on, if you read uh, on down into the life of Isaac, Isaac did the same thing with Abimelech as well. The, the, this fear of man caused Abraham and later Isaac to tell lies, to preserve themselves rather than to trust in God. And it's embarrassing the fact that Pharaoh in, in, in Genesis chapter 12 rebukes Abraham, so what have you done? And then in Genesis chapter 20, Abimelech, the heathen, also re rebukes the man of God. What have you done? 
You let your fear of man cause you to tell lies rather than trusting in God. And we need to be very careful of that. This is what causes compromise in churches. This is what causes men uh, to, 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 to give in to sin and, and, and not stand for God as we should. We need to move on. We're out of time. Let me just close with this idea. We need to be living in religious fear rather than the fear of man, this sinful fear. We need to get over natural fear. We do that by having the fear of God. I'll let you read the notes. We'll talk about this a little bit more next week when we get into the, into uses for fear. But Proverbs chapter 23, verse 17 says this, Do not let your heart envy sinners, but live in the fear of the Lord always. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is so many things throughout the scripture. It talks about it. Flavel says this, the fear of God is prescribed as an antidote against sinful fear. Sinful fear is a poison that will turn you away from the Lord. Living in natural fear will keep you from trusting in the Lord. But the idea of this fear of God will cause you to put your trust in the Lord and allow the Lord to save you. And you need that for salvation you need that for service. Where are you living today? We're out of time. We need to stop. But where are you living today? Are you living in that natural fear? Or have you chosen sinful fear and says, I'm not going to serve the Lord. I'm not going to accept the Lord. Because I'm going to put my trust in something else. I'm going to put my trust in my good works. I'm going to put my trust in my mind and my plan for life. No, we need to put our trust in the God who loves us enough to send his son to die for us so that he could save us from the cause of natural fear. We need to put our trust in the, in the Lord who can deliver us and keep us from sin. When we um, fear God properly, we will run from sin. I would do want to close with this last thing. In Job chapter 1, you have the example of a great man of God and he is described as being a man who feared the Lord and therefore hated evil. And you watch as he goes through all sorts of struggles and all sorts of difficulties in life. And when he gets to the end of his life, after he's been through all these things, he learns a lot. But he gets to the end and he says, now I know who you are, God, and I fall and I fear before you. And the last chapter, the last few verses of that book of Job talks about God's hand of blessing on him because he feared God. He had everything back that he lost in life and double. His daughters were the most beautiful women in town. He lived another 140 years after he got through some of his major struggles and he ended his life well because he feared God. That's the way I want to live my life. I trust that's the way you want to live your life. First, Fear God enough to trust Him for salvation, and then fear God enough to live for Him with your life. Father, we thank You for these thoughts on fear. And Lord, we don't like fear. We don't want to discuss it. We don't want to think about it, but we all have it. Help us not to try to mask it with some sort of an addictive behavior that we have, something to hide our fear, but help us to take our fears and bring them to You 
and to trust you with all of our hearts and lean not into our own understanding and all our ways to acknowledge you and let you uh, guide our paths for salvation and for service. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.